Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we talk to students, educators, and thought leaders who are innovators and creatives in education. I'm your host, Tanya Sheckley. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. I am here with Raheen. She is a 14-year-old from Pakistan. She's a peace and climate change activist, stand-up comedian, theater actor, aspiring entrepreneur, SDGs ambassador, and International Children's Month, World Unity Week, and WE, the World Youth Ambassador, and team lead. She's also a professional humanitarian interviewer. And during the pandemic, she has conducted over 500 interviews and sessions to foster global peace and achievements of the SDGs. So Raheen, of those 500 interviews or through this time and all of these incredible people you've gotten a chance to talk to, can you share a couple of themes that you've seen? Are there a couple of things that kind of keep coming up in your conversations? Yeah, there are actually. uh, Well, I basically started out interviewing entrepreneurs uh, or serial entrepreneurs. So entrepreneurship, uh, innovation, uh, child rights, peace, gender equality. And something that I, you know, it's interesting, something that I have open dialogues or like I would say in conversations that I have open dialogues or, you know, people coming together and talking about something can also be a topic for me because I am a big advocate for open dialogues for a change. So those are my meeting me topics as well as the sustainable development goals and the climate change and the movement on its own. So just a few topics. (laughs) Yeah. What made you, you said you started with entrepreneurs. So what made you want to start chatting with entrepreneurs? I started working with entrepreneurs and being around a lot of entrepreneurs because my main hangout place was an incubation center at 11 years of age. So I felt comfortable around innovation, new ideas, ideas that people are seeing will change and are changing the world. So that that was always my comfortable place, uh, my happy place. And I started out because of a challenge I took up. Uh, and it was basically, I had to have a mutual friend, uh, five other mutual friends with this, you know, Rihanna Lovell, he's a public figure and connects with people around the world. And when I started connecting with people, I soon realized that, oh, I, I really don't know these people and I'm just connecting with them. Doesn't really make sense. And he's like, so you should interview them and get to know them. And that's how it started. He's like a friend, PJ Entrepreneur. That's how it started. Like I interviewed him and then a lot of other people just like came by. And then after a certain point, I just didn't count anymore. But I'm way more than three, four hundred. So like I'm about 500 now. I talk a lot. But when you were introducing me, I'm like, oh, my God, that's me. It's you. Yeah. You sent me like a. Uh- four or five page bio of all of your accomplishments. And it was really hard to boil it down into this. <laughs> it's only a piece. But yeah, you, you've definitely accomplishing quite a bit. Is there an entrepreneur or an innovation that you heard about that someone's working on changing the world that really interests you or that you can share that you found really inspiring or really helpful or really innovative? Well, I mean, I see a lot of things around me nowadays, but I have a friend, Nyla Malou, um, well, and she's working with so many things, 
And she's working on basically like nanotech and like a solar chip that could go on your window, could go on the back of your phone and could power big, big things. And I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing, right? So I see a lot of things that are on me on LinkedIn and I, and I get inspired on a daily basis now. And well, there's a lot of other things that are happening. Yeah, that's awesome. That's one of the things I use LinkedIn for as well, is just to get inspired and see the cool things that other people are doing. And, you know, hearing you talk about nanotechnology makes me think just about my phone, because I remember back when I was in college, we had a supercomputer on campus and it was literally an entire building. And like, that's what ran the campus computer was an entire building. And this phone has more power than that whole building has as things get smaller and smaller. And so thinking about having a little chip that you could move to your phone or to your car or to your computer to be able to power things is exciting. It is. And I feel like right now we need to be making the full use of it because, you know, I see a lot of people with phones around. I have a phone myself, but making the most use of it and that you have stuff like Google or YouTube, Khan Academy, you've got so many places where you can learn new things like Coursera. And we could just go on and on to how many platforms there are alone for independent learning. Like I'm preparing for my SDDs and today's my first high school class. So I'm seeing that you can get so many things, but it's just about what you use this tech, this amazing thing for. Yeah, we all have a computer in our pocket and there's so much that we can learn from it and use it for, aside from just taking photos, which is what mine gets used for a lot. <laughs> so you mentioned your first high school class. Can you share a little bit about kind of your educational journey and what school is like? I know most 14-year-olds I talk to aren't interviewing 500 people around the world. So how, you know, what are you doing in school and what does that look like? Well, uh, the thing is, I, I used to go to regular school for the longest time and I left last year, November, because I'm a very different person. and. That made me a very different student from all too. I feel like with so many interviews that I was doing and having, you know, these open conversations and these encounters with everybody, you know, just at networking events, I feel like it really changed something in me. And I wanted to question and I, and I like to question. I'm a very curious person. So from the beginning, I used to ask questions and I used to be shushed down. And at a point, I'm like, why am I studying this? Okay, I understand. I'm actually good at algebra. But why is the question? Will I ever use it? Like, how does that work out? And they'd be like, we actually don't know. So how could you make me study a thing that you don't even know how I'd use? And then that stands of like, will I ever even use it? And then there's many other questions that I'd ask. And then I'd just be just down. And I feel like, because I was different, I, I wanted answers to those questions and I wanted to be in such a educational community, school, whatever you'd like to call it, where, you know, when I ask a question, either they try to find an answer, they don't have one, right? If you're not even trying. So that's why I switched school. I was looking for like a nice school and then I found the Socratic experience by Michael Strong. And yeah, currently I have a full scholarship there and I'm starting. So I mean, it's, it's very overwhelming. It's based in the U.S. But again, I live in Pakistan and I, you know, I'm not moving anytime soon. So again, one of the most amazing blessings we've had, technology and 
I mean, I thank God for Zoom every day. <laughs> yeah, we use it a lot more than we used to. And it's definitely nice to see you because this wouldn't have been possible not that long ago. So you left regular school and you said you got shushed a lot for asking questions. Did you ever get an answer for why you were learning those things, why school looked like that, why they taught the things they did? Well, I never really got an answer. And the interesting thing is I was able to almost start an initiative, though I feel like I left a little early for that. I used to ask, like, you know, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? It's almost every class because I question if I am going to memorize facts or if I'm actually going to put in my best. I should know why am I doing this? And it shouldn't be a big deal to answer. If you are certain as to what you are teaching will have an impact on my life and I will be able to utilize that to make impact on other people's life. If a school or whoever is designing the curriculum and the syllabus and everything is certain of that, I feel like they'd be able to answer that. But they were. And I used to ask this to the teacher. The teacher would take it up with the, you know, headmistress and they just be like, I don't know. We never really got into it. And by the end of, you know, year seven, all my classmates were asking the same questions to the teacher. They're like, but Raheen's right. Why am I studying this? Because we had to memorize so many things. That's how mainly the education system looks like here in Pakistan. So that is how it was. Everybody was asking those questions. And then, you know, we really couldn't do anything with that because we had no choice. And I mean, I really, really think of one thing is to be sure that you're learning something good. And then there's another thing to be sure that you're learning something that you will actually use, right? It's nice to know chemistry and all, but then will I be using it? And then there's other questions that teachers don't know the answer to. I remember there used to be one question that I used to answer. And that was because everybody, as is a very cool sort of thing that was an Instagram trend, like uh, here in Pakistan, if a teacher cannot teach all subjects, how do you expect a child to learn all subjects, right? And a simple answer to that is that only happens until grade eight for you to have a basic understanding of all subjects for then you to have explored all your options and then you can choose a major that be any major subject or a group of subjects for then you to build up on. But then you should have like a basic understanding of language and other things like math and science and tech, things that you might not even major in, but you should know just because. But the teacher teacher didn't have an answer to this. You know, I took it up. I thought on it for a day and I'm like, why? It's a nice question. And then I answered it, oh, thank God. Somebody knows, yes, that's the answer to it. Because teachers were put on pressure. I wouldn't even blame them because, you know, they're given as part of their pre-made lesson plans to what to teach that day. So they don't really decide and they can't really change. So what they can do is the way that they teach and the way that they should facilitate that learning of whatever concept or whatever subject. Because I feel like it makes an impact. I hated math for the longest time and now I'm the biggest math freak. The just depends on the teacher and the teaching style and the way that they carry themselves, even professionally, makes an impact. Absolutely. So you you talked about switching to the Socratic experience, which is something that I haven't heard about. Can you share how that's going to be different or what you're excited about with this new experience? First thing is I came across it because I do a lot of educational interviews and I connect with a lot of people. And again, you know, I love LinkedIn for more than a thousand reasons. 
But I think one of those is like when you connect with somebody, you could see that they have connections and then they're suggested and then mutual connections and then second and third connections. So I feel like that's something that's very beautiful on its own. And Michael Strong, the founder of the Socratic Experience, kept popping up on like my suggestions and my mutual friends and I'm like, I should connect with them. And I set up an interview and after really talking to him and seeing his understanding of how the education system should be and how he is actively taking steps and not taking steps, building up on his understandings of education that we disagreed and experience uh, was just beautiful. And I, and I talked to him and I was able to talk to a person from his team as well earlier. And I was able to get a scholarship because that's the main thing, right? A lot of private schools, you can't really afford them, though they're amazing. And that's how it just, you know, happened to be. The thing that I'm most excited about is the online learning experience. Because the thing is, during COVID, yes, we had online classes. I was a fairly nice online learner. But the thing is that that was all cameras off. And that was like, okay, whatever. Whenever the lockdown's off, we're going to go back to normal school. Here we are sure that for four years straight for high school, we are going to be online. We know that there's no going back. So we've got to adjust to it and we've just got to embrace it, you know? So I feel that that's something that's truly exciting. And then the grading system, the way that they talk and because it's the Socratic experience. So talking, having discussions on different topics. And I feel like that's just the, the main thing of the school. And that's something that I truly love as a person that is a big time networker and a big time people person. Like I love being around people. So I'm hearing that you're really excited to be online, even though you love being around people. Yeah. Which is something that a lot of at least here in the U.S., it's been a big push for education is we need to get kids offline, students offline, so that they can be around people. And you're saying that you're really excited to be online because you love people and you're looking forward to those rich discussions and the international experience that you can have that's more relevant and more interesting to you and more important probably than sitting in a classroom full of people. Yeah, I mean, it's an experience on its own. I get it. There's a lot of perks for like, you know, place-to-face school because again, for the longest time I, I went there and, you know, there's just on-campus memories that you make and I don't really understand those parents think or those students. But I feel like all I experiences, I mean, if I wouldn't have been online, I would probably have to move, which is something that is out of options for me. So again, that wouldn't even be possible. The whole moving thing where, you know, getting things straight is just too difficult right now. And I feel like when we can be so, so global being online, I don't think so. There should be something bad about it. And yes, I spent, well, a month with my cousins that are from New York and they are moved to their phones. And I'm moved to my phone because <laughs> I got to respond to all my emails and they've moved to their phone because they got to check this new thing out and new podcasts and stuff. I mean, everybody has different interests. And I mean, I hear a lot nowadays and I've been at, this has been like a staple question for most of my interviews nowadays is whether teenagers are ignorant of all that's going on in the world and they, they really don't get and all they do is play video games all day. That's not the only thing that they do there. And I feel like it is a skill on their own 
that all the Gen Z and millennials that we know nowadays, they have way better searching skills and verifying if the source is correct or not than many people that were born before the internet or are still getting used to the internet being around. That's true. I think definitely there's there's a lot to be said for growing up with it, understanding how it works, and also having, you know, that training and understanding that everything you find on the internet isn't real. Yeah. And how do you figure out what's real and what's not and look back at the sources and where it came from? Because I'm that older generation back when news, like at least here in the U.S., news was actually news and it wasn't slanted one way or the other. And you didn't have to verify like where it came from or which slant it's leaning towards or which critical eye you should look at it with and which questions you should ask. And all of those are skills that are really, really necessary now, just as there's you know, there's not a core group of people disseminating news. There's anyone in the world can disseminate news. Mm -hmm. And so that's really exciting in a lot of ways, but also has led to a lot of challenges. I think that people didn't necessarily see coming. That's so true. And, you know, I feel like because I was born in the era and I don't know why, whenever I think about memes or fake news, honestly, I just think about the Kardashians. I'm a huge fan. (laughs) <laughs> One of my top five rules, you know, I have some set of rules. It's like, you know, whenever I make a new friend or something, you know, like a friend, not like a professional friend, I tell them those five rules. And one of those is like, no talking bad about the Kardashians. Because I, I, tru- I truly love them, how they managed to make an empire. But I feel like because I was born in the Kardashian era, 2007, I feel that is exactly why I'm able to be like, oh, no, I know that that's not correct. You know, I know that because, you know, that said that and that said that. So I feel like we just have to question because, you know, I get stuff like, whoa, you know, there was a celebrity that had blood all over her shirt and the police was arresting her. Turns out that was for a TV show and they just uploaded BDS or something. So all those sort of things are just part of us having our daily life or be like, oh, that happened. Oh, that happened. Oh, I don't think so. That happened. Let me check again. Yep, it's interesting and it's good to discern and good to check sources for sure. So one other thing I wanted to talk with you about or ask you about is that you are a liaison for One Better World Collective. And through that, you aim to achieve SDGs with mindfulness. So last May, you had a great meeting with His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what that was like? Oh, my God, that was just amazing. And how it came up to me was like so unexpected because I connected with Ian from One Better World Collective. And then I had a liaison meeting where they, you know, wanted me to be a liaison. And then I also showed my commitment because I love talking to people. And Zoom is mostly our way of talking to people around the world. I used to hop on to liaison meetings. So that meeting that I had, it was like where I tell my work and, you know, a certain representative from the One Better World Collective tells their work. And then we sort of are like, so how can I contribute and how can they contribute? And then I'm a liaison officially there. I used to hop on to other liaison meetings and I, I am just on there. And then I used, I got so into it that I used to be on like two, three liaison meetings every day and I would go up to, 3 a.m. in the morning for my time. Because again, there's a huge time difference. Yeah. And then he saw my passion. He's like, we are having this event 
with His Holiness the Dalai Lama on the 12th of April. Would you like to be part of it? Is there any chance you could contribute to it? I'm like, oh my God, you'll just ask me whether I want to be part of something that I've been, you know, dreaming for my whole life because my dad, like he's huge into yoga and into meditation and into people that are really into the whole meditation yoga thing as well, mainly the mindful leaders. And he was a big Dalai Lama fan. And so was I, because I used to go with him on his yoga and meditation and whole Reiki groups and stuff like that. So I used to go on all of that with him as a two-year-old. And as a two and a half-year-old, I had already started meditating. And I used to wear orange, like his holiness, because I thought that just made me like his holiness. And because I grew up with him around, and I remember reading when his first time magazine came out and be like, you, I'm going to check this out. While other people were checking out, you know, K-pop, I was checking out, yo, the Dalai Lama has this new time article. I got to read this. And for me, it was like a dream come true. And it was a yes on the first row. And I wanted to be part of that. And I was part of a, an amazing, amazing influencer group where people from all walks of life just came in and asked the question to his OBS and it was just beautiful. And for me, the most special thing was when to my introduction, the whole thing said, good. And I'm like, oh my God, I, I will make sure that I cut this part. And I don't know how, but I keep it everywhere I can. I can't even frame it on my wall yet. But yeah, it was pretty special. And then I realized that no matter how young you are, no matter where you are from, what religion you follow, anything. It doesn't matter if you are working and you put in your best, people will see your effort. People will acknowledge it. And that's how I got asked to be part of it in the first place. So I truly respect One Better World Collective with all my heart because they've been empowering so many people from, you know, different parts of the world and people all ages. I mean, I used to be like a 13 year old sitting in a meeting where there were a bunch of like 40 year olds as far as the why I, I think we also had somebody 80 so we've got people from all around the world just joining in and that on creating a better and more sustainable world through mindfulness that's incredible what a fantastic story and you make such a good point that you know as long as you're doing your best and you continue to work and you work hard that people will notice and you'll make progress such a great point we only have a couple of minutes left. I'm founder of an elementary school. And so I love to ask people about memories from elementary school. So do you have a time or a story or a teacher or something you remember from your elementary school years that you can share with us? That's probably my strongest memories. Uh, well, I remember I used to go to a school that was made in a house. It was a nice big house and it was a school in a house. Because they had no other way that they could, you know, there's a whole chain of schools and they had to spread it spread in my certain area. They're like, you know what, we're just going to buy a house and make it in that. We don't, you know, right now, we don't know whether it's going to work enough for us to make it bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. And there, our third grade used to be in a kitchen. It was the smallest kitchen I've ever seen in my life first. There used to be six children in our class. That's starting out, we were reduced to four children. And 
I think that was the best thing ever. Because we used to study in a kitchen, right? It was awkward enough to have a sink. And then we had to cover it and all. And it was just weird, just like settling in at first. We also had a pantry. What we used to do whenever we didn't want to, Urdu is our national language and we study it as a language here. And the whole class, it was the least favorite language because of the teacher. Now, the thing was, whenever we knew that she was about to walk in, one or two of us would just go in and hide our stuff in the pantry and go and hide in the pantry and just like close the door on us. So she wouldn't know whether we even came to school that day or we didn't. So we could just bunk class being right in a room inside of a room. So that was definitely my best memories. <laughs> How often did you hide in the pantry? You know, because we were already close in class, well, you know, what, do you, what would you say for well, four people? So of course we were very close. They would often not have me hide because the thing with me was like, whenever uh, they would be like, yo, did Rahim come? I don't know. I should check with our mom because my mom knew the teacher and they both were close friends. So I would just freak out and run out of the pantry, be like, I am here. They need me hide. <laughs> so I was the security pants. They be like anybody but I hate. Right? <laughs> and so they were just like, you know, one main, main person, Abdurrahman, who's like in our class. He was our main person because no matter what we did, even if the teacher would say, you know what, today we're going to have class outside or we're going to chill. Or we're not going to even work. He'd still be hiding there. He wouldn't come out. He wasn't like me. So he was my inspiration as an eight-year-old. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Thank you for sharing that. Is there anything else that you want to share or anything exciting that's coming up that you're working on that you're really looking forward to? Well, there's a lot of things that I look forward to. One of that should be interviewing you because I would love to do that. I talked to so many people. Why not Tanya? Simple. And thank you so much for having me on. It was so nice. I'm like interviewed after such a long time. So it's just like, oh my God, people asking me questions again. So thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be on. Oh, thank you, Raheen. This has been really wonderful. I appreciate your time. And I would love to be interviewed by you whenever you get a chance. Thanks. Let's have something scheduled up. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Rebel Educator podcast. To learn more about us, visit rebeleducator.com, where you can learn about our professional development opportunities for educators and students and see our project library. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, check out our progressive, inclusive elementary school, Up Academy, at upacademysf.com. We'd like to say a special thank you to Atmosphere, for use of their audio track, Miho. Thanks again for joining us, and we wish you well no matter where your educational journey may lead.